Just boss you around here is treated like a god. I mean, I'll never find out what he could really do. I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Uh, we have a great interview set up today. Uh, we're going to talk to a couple of authors of the book, We Changed the Game, uh, 1967 to 1976, and it's how a new league, a small group of dreamers, and some amazing situations changed the culture of a city, which is Indianapolis, and the face of basketball forever. Um, an interesting side note is that when I was five years old, 1972, I got a transistor radio. And um, I used to, uh, last night I was watching a movie and a little boy was reading or doing whatever he was doing at night underneath a blanket with his flashlight. Well, when I was a kid and I had my transistor radio, I would turn it on really low and get it at a right place up underneath my pillow and listen to the Indiana Pacers. I think it was on WIBC when, when I was that age, age five back then. And that's what I did. I didn't have a flashlight and read books and, and magazines and stuff like that. I, 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 put a, I put a transistor radio underneath my pillow, and I listened to the Indiana Pacers uh, basketball. And, and another interesting thing, and, so and go ahead. No, I was going to say, and Jerry Baker, his, his play-by-play, People used to turn the TV off and listen to Jerry Baker on the radio. That's how good it was. Oh, exactly. Great guy, too, especially with uh, him calling the IHSAA games also. But, uh, and, and an interesting note, so we have two of the authors of this book on the interview today. Uh, and I will say this to Robin Miller, uh, after reading a lot of stuff uh, uh, about you getting ready for this interview, you would be a great interview alone by yourself with some of the stuff that I read. I'd like to know if it's true or false. 99% true, brother, but I, I declined to comment because my attorney told me not to. <laughs> so, and what's interesting with the Robin Miller, who, and Robin Miller was with the Indianapolis Star and, uh, from 1968 to 2001, and is, uh, raced midgets for USAC in the 70s and, and is a, uh, a racing guru. Um, I, I finally get to tell Robin Miller that my great-great-uncle was Wild Bill Cummings in Indianapolis 500 in 1934. Oh, speaking of wild men, oh yeah, he was a hell of a race driver. We've got to see him. So, like I said, these two authors, the only one that we're missing from the bottom is uh, Richard Tinkham, who was one of the founders of the ABA. But the book is out now, and you can get it at Amazon.com, and you can also buy it from Hilton Publishing. So, with that being said, I'd like to introduce Bob Nedelicki and Robin Miller to, to chat about this book and, and, and the process it took to, to make the book and what's coming up to promote the book and tell us a little bit about the stories that are in the book. So, uh, uh, if I don't know which one of you uh, legendary people want to speak first, but go ahead. Nedel's well, idea, he goes first. Yeah, I'll kind of start it out. Uh, about four years ago, uh, Dick Tinkham, who was the original Pacer owner and guru and the league council and did everything but clean toilets, I think, he uh, he and I were our good friends, and I was in his house one day, and he was kind of chuckling because he was reading uh, some article about a new book about the ABA. And, and I said, what's so funny? And he just laughed, and he said, you know, I've been reading these books, and probably 98% of the stuff is totally wrong. And I, I said, you're kidding. And he said, no. He said, nobody knows the real stories. And I said, well, tell me a couple. So he began to tell me a few things. And, of course, the book starts out uh, with the most amazing story about how the, this 
in the second year, oh, we lose one game, they're folding the team, things like that. And and uh, and I kept listening. You got to be kidding me! And I didn't know this stuff though, four years ago. And then I relayed this to Bobby Leonard, other people, and they they said you got to be kidding. And so we sat and talked about this for a few weeks. And he just said one day, he said, you know, he said we need to write a book somehow. But neither one of us knew how to write books. We had no idea what we were doing. So we we hemmed and hawed, and we talked to a few people. And his his daughter is actually a writer, but she does kinds of stuff we talked to her but logistically it just wouldn't have worked and all of a sudden i got a bright idea in my head that who's the writer that was the main reason that we went to write this book is because we were there it's not a he said she said third person or i thought this might have happened kind of book dick was there and the story he tells is he lived it i was there i know the stories and we're i was thinking well who else would be perfect to write this book and of course robin miller who was a little cub reporter who started following the team that he was uh, they put him with the team when we first started and i give him the nickname jimmy olson cub reporter which i think it's stuck to this day but he uh, he was with the team. he traveled with the team he dr- he he didn't drink all he drank was a strong pepsi in a while but he uh he, he partied with us. He, he went with us. We took him with us on the road. And he was a witness to all this. So I thought, that's the perfect guy. I mean, this is a guy that's not saying, gee, I heard this, or I, somebody told me that, and this might be right or wrong. Jimmy Olsen was there. So that kind of started this whole thing about four years ago. And uh, four years later, uh, I think none of us kind of thought maybe we'd ever get this darn thing off the ground. But uh, lo and behold, uh, we actually got a book to sell, and uh, Hilton Publishing, who published it, which is another story, which we'll talk about a little later, uh, got involved. And the book is, its I know I'm surprised pleasantly. I know Jimmy was also was surprised pleasantly. The book is really nice, well-done book. And the thing about it is it's a fun read because our stories were fun. And, and, and the real stories are much funnier than fiction. And, and if you start reading it, uh, you won't put it down. What do you think, Jimmy? Well, the the, good, the best thing is, is not only does the book, Hilton Publishing did such a good job. It's such a, it's 200 pages. You can read it in one or two nights at most. And it's, it's the story of not just the Pacers and the ABA, but this Wild West thing, the, the, this whole, the atmosphere that surrounded the Pacers was not like nothing else. Really. We never had anybody in the city to cheer for. We had the Indians. We had the 500 mile race. Had favorite race drivers, but nobody knew anybody about the Indians except Ted Bear. So we never had a team to get behind. So the Pacers were the first team that we ever embraced in the Indianapolis. And to think that they started the Coliseum and worked their way downtown, and and basically the renaissance of Indianapolis can be right, traced right to the Indianapolis Pacers, because without the Pacers, without their success, without their popularity, I'm not saying downtown wouldn't have eventually gotten nice, but it wouldn't be where it is today without the Pacers, and Mayor Luger, and Mayor Hudnut, and Dick Tinkham, and Neto, and Mel, and Roger, and Freddie, and Slip, and that's why when Neto goes out to eat, or or somewhere, or with Slip, and people still come up, and they're so happy to see, I mean, these guys met so much in Indianapolis, and I think what comes across in the book is, is what a wild-ass, fly-by-night thing the ABA was, how the Pacers had no, I mean, the Pacers, you know, two or three times almost folded. How we got Mel Daniels, how Dan signed his contract, I mean, the Reggie Harding stories. It'll, what happened? 
in those years from 67 to 76, not only can it never happen again, nobody can even imagine it happening again. Donnie Walsh read our manuscript, and he, he told Neto, he goes, Jesus Christ, I have no idea this stuff happened. Well, it's it's almost unbelievable that the coach and the players flew on commercial airlines playing poker, and then they went out after the game and drank together, and that was one big family, and it sounds like such a cliche, but I'm telling you, they even took on scrawny little 19-year-old Jimmy Olsen with them to these places, and it was a time that anybody that had anything to do with it, Billy, treasures it because it was such a great memory. Uh, Robin, did you, you, you know? Did, go ahead, Billy, go ahead, Bob. Billy, simple was is I kind of, I kind of, uh, and I've been thinking about this. I kind of equated to it was a deck of cards, literally a deck of cards, and you pull one card out, one or two, even one, not just two, but one card out of this deck, this this little house of cards that was built, and they're built with the players, coaches, Dick Tinkham. You pull one of those cards out, and guess what? There's no Colts here. There's no downtown, right? It would eventually got here, but Market Square would have never been built. There would be no, it, none of this would have happened. And we aren't bragging like, gee, we're the greatest thing in the world. It's just a fascinating story that happened. And it, and the story goes a little deeper than just the, the Indianapolis. Dick was the head of the merger committee. And Dick, the stories about what happened in the merger agreements, the NBA hated the ABA. Red Arabic despised the ABA, especially when we used to beat them to death in the games. And and uh, the merger is a fascinating story, how that went. And the legal, we actually have the guy from San Francisco who's now one of the largest uh, class action lawyers in the world, Dan Mason. He writes a chapter on, on some of the legal stuff that happened that, that could never happen again. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing, the stories. And, uh, you know, I, I read it again and again. I can't believe some of the stories and how I lived it. Robin, did you Robin, did you play any basketball? Did you mess around with basketball at Southport High School? Oh, I played. No, I was I was I was a student manager on my high school team. I was about five foot one and weighed about eighty eight pounds. No, I but I played all the time because we you know we grew up in Indianapolis. We loved basketball. That, that's all we care. You know, it was it was the game to play. And, but I I think to 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 piggyback what Neto said is that. You you read these stories, and even my friends that have bought the book in the last week or so are like, "You got to be kidding me! That didn't really happen." Yeah, it not only did it happen, but you know it can never be. <laughs> Lots of times, you know, people are kind of hesitant. Well, I don't know if you should tell this story or not. Well, you know, nobody's going to jail. Nobody's going to be divorced because of it. It was, but there was some there was some stuff that went on that just. Slick didn't have an assistant coach. He had Davey Craig as his trainer. He didn't have seven guys telling him what to do. He he ran the team. And and Mike Storm was the general manager at the start. And it was just, you know, it was when Slick took over, you know, he brought discipline, but he also brought fun. And I think Neto, you know, there was a chapter Neto pretty much wrote all on his own about all the things Slick did and all the crazy stories. I could read that every day, and, and I, it's like ball four. I could start in the middle of it, and I just start laughing because I think about what he's done. <laughs> yeah, and some of those stories, some of the slick stories are probably not for children, but uh, uh, we were all sitting around, and we said, you know, uh, I, I don't think I remember a day when Slick walked into the locker room and said, golly gee whiz, guys, we got to win. That wasn't his style. Golly and, gee whiz, <laughs> guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> at Nitto. So, so uh, do me a favor. Take me from you could have gone down the path and played for the San Diego Rockets, but you chose the path to go with the Indiana Pacers. And, you know, there's, uh, there's always a reason that we do stuff, and it always turns out for the best in, in most stories that you read. Uh, tell me about that decision that, you know, now we're sitting here, we're discussing a book, and Indianapolis is what Indianapolis is because of the Indiana Pacers. You know, tell me about that choice from going to the ABA rather than the NBA. Well, there's absolutely no regrets. If there's any regrets, the only one would possibly be was the pension. If I'd have gone to San Diego, I'd have this wonderful pension. And unfortunately, the uh, when the merger happened, the NBA has kind of screwed it, uh, made it. But we're working on getting the ABA guys a pension they deserve. But other than that, back back you got to remember, back in 1966, I was a junior in college. And the NBA, basically, I take it back, I was going to be a senior. The NBA had eight teams. Eight teams. Eighty players. Eight. They were on television. They were on television. You never saw them play except maybe a taped a taped game of Bill Russell playing against Wilt. They never they didn't TV the All Star games. You were lucky to even know they existed, and they were out east. There was no team south of uh, south of like uh, Baltimore, I don't think. And it was just a, it wasn't it just was not a popular game. It was probably about the fifteenth thing behind bowling was more popular than the NBA, <laughs> and so. You really didn't know about it, and I came over here and I talked to these guys, and I, I'm from the Midwest, and basically they offered me more money, they offered me a no-cut contract, and then I pulled a little fast one on Mike Storen, which I still think was a brilliant thing today. I, uh, they had this little deal where they would they would throw a carrot at these players, and they would say, "We'll lease you a car for a year." And uh, so they offered to lease me a car, and Mike said, what do you want? And I said, I'd I, I like a Corvette. And he said, who makes that? And I, I said, it's just a Chevy, Mike. And he said, oh, hey, no problem. And uh, unfortunately, I think the insurance cost him more than my contract. Tell him what you paid for it. Tell him your first contract and your signing bonus compared to what my today first is. Contract with my signing bonus, I was the highest played player on the team. I had $16,000 and a $2,000 signing bonus. I think Roger Brown made 17 with no signing bonus, and uh, so that made me the highest paid player. And the funny part, you look back in those days, I remember Earl Monroe, Earl of Pearl, was the first-round pick for Baltimore, and the big news was he signed a two-year contract for 25000 a year, and everybody thought, oh, my God, he broke the bank. And you got to remember the highest paid players in basketball back then were like Jerry West made thirty five grand, Roger Brown. And I used to sit around and think, man, if you could make thirty five grand, we'd sign for ten years. We'd be the richest guys in town. It's just, it's just a total, you know, it's a total different world now. And uh, it's kind of funny because people come up to me and say, "What'd you do with all those millions you made?" And I said, "Yeah, right." Yeah. There's, there's a thing in the book we we show a lot of the uh, Dick had a lot of the balance. Sheet. You would not believe the uh, the the nature of the income and the, the salaries and things, and you could take all nine years of the ABA, all nine years, all the players' salaries combined for nine years, include the trainers and the nine years, and a guy like Paul George makes more in thirty games than than you could play all those all the ABA players for nine years. So it's a different world. But I'll tell you what, it was a fun world, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. 
Robin, how did That's you? What most uh, people tell you, Billy. Okay, Robin, how did you kind of? How do you kind of? How did you kind of split your passions up? Because you're, you're very passionate about auto racing. You're very passionate about basketball. How do you take those and split those up a little bit? And how does? Uh, how did that work out in writing and helping writing the book? Well, I was I was already going to races all the time and sprint cars and midgets, and it was huge for Jim Hurtubies at Speedway, in 1968 when I was 18. I just kept cutting school, going out to help him. So racing is, you know, but in the winter time, you know, there's no racing so bad. The Pacers were the first, the red white blue ball was the first thing that just, you know, cut you. And they had Jimmy Rail, who was one of my heroes growing up because he was he was a skinny little guy and shot the ball, and him and Neto became roommates and buddies and. And the Pacers just grew on you because we didn't have anything like that. You could go to the game for a dollar or two bucks and get in. And, and when I started working the Star, I just started going to practice and doing features. And Mike Storm, who was the general manager, he's you know he was like, "Who is this? Who is this little punk kid doing stories on us? Well, I better figure it out." So he came to me and said, "Listen, we really appreciate you doing release it because I'd write." at least one story a week, a big long feature, and then I'd go to the game and do a little sidebar if somebody had a good game. And so we'd have a couple extra stories every week about the Pacers, but they were all, it was like having an extra PR man. They were all these wonderful little positive stories. So Storin was smart. He said, you know what, if you want to go on the road for this, I'll take care of your airplane ticket and I'll get you your own room. And that was an easy choice to make for somebody who was 19 years old. I mean, that was, you, you got to be kidding me. I, you know, and then Ned and the boys took me under their wing and tried to teach me how to talk to women and dress, and it was hopeless, but they tried. <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember, you're dealing. We were dealing with a 19 year old virgin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> how how and, how, and, how, uh, how how many of the players uh, were involved in this bookmaking process? How, how many former ABA players did you guys get stories from, or, or uh, what was the input like, uh, or how, how was it received from former ABA players? Well, I mean, thankfully I'd interviewed Roger Brown at length in 1994, and he passed away the next year, two years later. And I had some notes for him from the, from the 80s. And I had I had a, I had enough to write a book on Slick all the time to interview him. But when we when Neto and Dick and I decided to do this, then I called Storin, Freddie Lewis, Oliver Darden, Jimmy Rail, uh, even John Barnhill before he passed away. So I got all the guys and Billy Keller, uh, Darnell, George McGinnis. I, everybody is that should be represented is represented. Now we've lost a few guys. Jay Miller, Neto's old roommate, passed away and. Uh, you know, I got a whole Mark Becker out in Phoenix, one of my best friends. He's and he was part of the first championship team. So everybody Mel represented plus old stories from Bob Collins that I had taken notes on. He was my boss at the star. But he was really the impetus to get the Pacers going. You gotta remember, Billy, the Pacers joined the ABA for six thousand dollars and now the franchise is worth almost a billion. Think Not about bad, that. Huh? <laughs> Not bad. And, and, and you, what, go ahead, go ahead, Bob. You know the thing about the thing about the book is, you know, the reason I came up with that, I came up with this um, this phrase: "We changed the game." Believe it or not, I own the I own uh, one thing I did right, I guess, in my life is I I own the United States trademark on that phrase now. The, we changed the game, and, I, and it came from when I started working 
on trying to help guys, uh, you know, help all of us get our, our rightful pensions. And I, I put that on the stationery, and it kept jumping out at me. So I went ahead and filed for trademark. Took a while to get it, but I got the trademark rights on that. And I thought, man, it's a perfect title for the book because the book not only talks about the Pacers, but when you get into the merge and you get into the NBA parts and things like that, we did the ABA changed basketball. Basketball was dying back then, and if you look at the game today, Walt Frazier made a comment. And we have it in the book. Walt Frazier made a comment last year in an article. He said, today's NBA is the ABA. And if you take a hard look at it, the only difference from the ABA game today is the is the ball. And maybe right. one day they'll get Walt change the ball where it should be, you know. You know, you guys have a great quote on the front of the book, uh, and of course it's from the legendary Bob Costas, that, and it says, if you love the ABA as I did, or simply curious about a fascinating slice of sports history, you will love this book. How, I mean, I know he was with the uh, the St. Louis Spirits, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what did he, well, Bob, go ahead. Bob, Bob's been helping me, uh, he's been a big help in, our pension fight for the over the years for like the last eight years but bob bob is an aba diehard just like once you it's kind of like uh i hate to say it, it's kind of like a drug once you try it you, you love it okay and uh and the aba has got a, a very kind of a it's almost like a cult uh, that the people don't know about this but people want to know a lot of the younger generation i had a friend of mine that's a a teacher from Illinois called me and said they were going to teach us uh, a class on basketball. And he, he said all the kids wanted to know about the ABA. So he called me and asked me some questions. And I basically told him, buy the book and you'll, you'll learn a whole lot about it. But Bob has been a great, uh, a great help to us. And we sent the book. We sent the manuscript to Bob. We didn't tell him what to say. He wrote a, if you look on the inside cover, he wrote a whole, uh, uh, uh thing about the book and he and he basically said that uh, the truth is the ABA Indiana Pacers were were it they're the ones that held the league together they're the ones that they were the team and uh, it was very complimentary and I really I really uh, am grateful to Bob that was a wonderful thing he said and we also got a nice thing from Sam Smith the writer out of Chicago and Peter Vesey also but uh, you know we did not force them or pay them or do anything and uh, we we were all I know Robin and me we were thrilled with Bob's endorsement and and what's been the initial reaction to the release of the book what do you think Robin well I, I had dinner last night with about 10 guys and they all went to our signing Saturday, Sunday and bought it and they've all read it it took them a day and a half two days to read it and you know they're like I couldn't put it down because I kept wanting to go to the next chapter and that's what you want that made them laugh and it educated them. That's all you ever want to do in a book. You've got to entertain people. And it's not because I wrote it. It's what I wrote about. It's The story almost writes itself because it's it's so hard to imagine all these things happening in today's society. Well, they, they couldn't happen today. But I think the reaction has been, it's 200 pages. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, not, it's not a bunch of statistics and box scores. It's a people story. But it's 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 one funny story or one unbelievable story after another, so that keeps your attention. And I think it starts out kind of holding your attention because it's the seventh game of the first round of the playoffs when they beat the Kentucky Colonels and probably turned the city around that night, all the way to the end of the chapter, the end of the book, which which the Simon Brothers 
rescue the, the city and save the franchise. So it's a, it's just a, I told one of my friends, he said, man, he goes, I'm not saying this because you're my buddy, but he goes, I, I really, he says, I, I, I've read it twice. He goes, there's so much stuff in there that I had no idea ever happened. And I, and I lived right here and I used to go to the Coliseum. You just couldn't know the things that Dick Tinkham and Neto knew. You couldn't know unless you're on the inside. And that's what, that's what makes it good because everybody pretty much tells the truth in this thing. It's not, it's not sugar-coated. It's not third-hand. It's not a quote from the old Indianapolis Times or the star of the news. It's, it's just the way it happened. You know, a lot of these books have been written, and that's why Dick Dick was in this thing. He said, and he said, you know, all these books are being written, but none of them really know the real story. And all these these guys go out and they write these things, and and they write these stories, and it's one game after the other. And he scored this, and pretty soon you fall asleep, and and it's not. Uh, it, the one thing Dick said, he didn't want to write it. He wanted it to be fun. And he emphasized the word fun because that's what the league was. The league was fun. And and I think, you know, I'm I'm I, my wife is a voracious book reader also. I'm not as much as she is. But when I read a book, if it's a fun read, I like to read it. If I start reading it and just one page after the other, repetitious, you put it down. And, and this is a fun book. I mean, it's just a fun, but it's a true book. And I'm really happy that all the stories are getting out. And there's so many players in the league and, and so many people that people know nothing about. So, you know, who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, the, the people who like uh, uh, basketball history, uh, for the real history, are, are going to be uh, really – I've had people actually call me and said they, – they, one quote a friend of mine called me and said, is this stuff really for real or did you make it up? And I said, nope, it's for real. And the guy said, wow. He said, uh, he said, I can't believe some things that happened. So, you know, that's kind of the gist of the book. Uh, it's, uh, uh, facts are much uh, more amazing than fiction sometimes. People, people, really, people don't have time to read four or 500 pages nowadays. <laughs> perfect size. They really don't. And like I'm reading John Fogarty's biography now and I love John Fogarty, but I'm like, there's so much minutia, and he gets off on these tangents. I don't, just get get back to the story. What's good about our book is it brings you in right at the start. You mean the Pacers almost folded the the second year they played? What? And then all the way through their trap, their, their, their you know, Jerry Buss owned the Pacers for a couple of days. Huh? What? Um, Mel Daniels cost us seventy five thousand dollars because Dick Tinkham made a deal on the back of a napkin after you know having a few cocktails in the morning. I mean, he helped. He went to Lou Alcindor's house and tried to sign for a million bucks of, and a fur coat for his mom. There's so many outlandish, crazy things that happened, but that's the way the ABA was. It was wild west and tennis shoes, and that's why people still gravitate towards it because they have such fond memories of it because it was so much fun. It was so exciting. I mean, Neto was in a game. The Pacers scored 177 points one time on a Sunday afternoon in the Coliseum. It was an all-time pro basketball scoring record and I think it might have been a game Don Kirk did for, for CBS it was 177 points are you serious <laughs> I mean it was awesome so well you know you know like, a story about that I don't know if you remember Babe McCarthy he was a great great coach a real they called him Magnolia Mouth he had his southern drawl and he talked like this and he talked to old he said hi Neto how you doing and all this stuff and he came in the locker room. The story was after we had that 177-point game, you know, we we played Pittsburgh, and we beat them. And he came into the locker room and said, boys, this is another team. And he said, 
boys, I just heard on the radio that Pittsburgh scored 140 points against them Pacers. And everybody thought, wow, they kicked their butt. He said, but guess what? The Pacers won by 37. (laughs) And that was a a story that went around the league. I remember Mike Butler, I think, was playing for uh, Memphis, told me that story. And he said they laughed until I about passed out. But just things, just little things like that that happened are – are fascinating and uh, and I think I think people are are going to really in, enjoy the I'll tell you one chapter and I can say this on your podcast the name of one chapter is which one of you assholes is Tinkum that's the name <laughs> of the chapter and the reason the name of the chapter is Dick went in Dick was the head of the ABA merger committee and the first merger meeting they had in New York they walked in this big office and Ned Irish who was the president of the New York Knicks and the big honcho in the NBA, as, the, as they filed in, Ned Irish stands up and says, which one of you assholes is Tinkham? And Dick <laughs> kind of raised his finger and said, uh, that'd be me. And he said, well, let me tell you something. He said, let me tell you something, Tinkham. He said, first of all, we don't like being sued. And number two, he says, I'm going to tell you right now for a fact, there's two things. There may or may not be a merger. But there's going to be two things that will never, ever happen. He said, the first thing that will never happen, we'll never use that damn ball you're using. And number two, there will never, ever be a three-point play in the NBA, period. And that's wow. exactly what he said. <laughs> wow. Well, guess what? Uh, he was wrong on one of them. <laughs> yep. But you know, you- like that, that people, it, 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 it's, it's just saying, wow, did that really happen? That's funny. You, you know, you almost uh, from from what we were talking from what we've been talking about. Uh, uh, wow, did that really happen? Could be the title of the book. <laughs> yeah, but there, it, it, it it actually never never came up. With, it did change the game. It changed the way we looked at it and the way it was played. And the NBA finals used to be on tape delay unless it was on Monday or Tuesday. And then if it was during prime time, they just they didn't show. They showed it on some other foreign cable network. Nobody cared about pro basketball, and Slick's a great. Slick was a great person to bounce all those ideas off of because he was a player coach in the NBA. He was a player in the NBA, and he knew he, he knew the game. He said himself, you know, this game was in trouble because the Celtics won every year, and nobody cared. And there was only eighty, you know, there was eighty players, and that was it. So, you know, Neto could have made the NBA. Roger Roger Brown got blackballed, and Mel could have made the NBA, but. Well, they took a, they took a flyer on the APA, and it all worked out. But how it worked out, and 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 the way that it got to where it was, and and the merger is is just an amazing odyssey of eight years that people are just wouldn't believe. You know, there's some interesting social things too about the book. You know, back in this, you got to remember this was the '60s, and there was a lot of problems. You had Vietnam, all you know, had the racial problems, and all this stuff was going on. And Indianapolis, we opened my bar up, okay. And Indianapolis back then, there was nowhere in Indianapolis where the blacks, whites, people mixed and had a good time. But that wasn't the case of my bar. And I've talked to a lot of the people in India, black leaders, white leaders, and and they 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 agree that the Pacers brought the city together. There was no there was no. Uh, racial problems. There was none of this stuff. It was like a healing for the city, and and it kind of happened that way in the league too. Because back in the sixty early sixties, they had an unspoken, and I think it was terrible, but they had an unspoken limit. There was m- no more than two black players on a team, 
and it was kind of a it was kind of a unspoken law that those jerks that ran the NBA back then had. And I think the ABA and, and opened up the whole league, and it helped the social uh, the feel of the country. And and I think it was just it was a it was a, the league was almost a, a healing force for for the uh, for the country back then. It brought fun to the game. It, it inspired people. And I may be a little uh, crazy, but I think uh, I think uh, I'm proud of what we did. And I think we really we really helped uh, basketball and, and and the country. Period. You know, as a kid, and following the Pacers at a young age, too, you know, you, I, I, I didn't see it as black or white. I just saw it as the Indiana Pacers. Right. Well, the, and, well and that's, that's kind of way, kind of way Slick laid it out to the boys in their first team meeting, wasn't it, Neto? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he, I won't say what he said, but he basically laid it out. But, uh, you know, let me tell you, the Pacers never had any of that, none of that uh uh, color pro- nothing that was didn't even exist. I mean, my Mel Daniels was probably my best friend on the day he died. I mean, we all hung out together and we partied together, and it was uh, there was never a problem. And I think a lot of people made more of it than it was. And uh, and uh, you know, I think uh, I would never even you know I never even looked at it like that at all. What a perfect time for the book to come out! You get, you're having the fiftieth annual, the fiftieth reunion, uh, upcoming, I think, on the seventh of April. Give us a little rundown of what the activities are going to involve, how people can go, uh, how they can get this two hundred dollar ball and get it all autographed. Uh, give us a little bit of rundown of uh, oh, of a, that weekend. It's going to be, hey, you know, be before before you before you give them that. I got to go do this teleconference, boys. Billy Neto's going to take over from here. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, Robin. Appreciate your time. Okay. Hey, Robin. Thanks again. Bye, bye. Yeah, Robin. Where, are you, where are you real? Where are you really going? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm getting on the teleconference right now, buddy. <laughs> you got a date? I know you got a date. I got to work for a living. I'm not like you. Do. I'm not. Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, Billy, as far as the uh, yeah the reunion is going to be fantastic. The Dropping Diamonds Foundation is putting it on there. It's a foundation that uh, a guy named Scott Tarter, uh, attorney downtown John Abrams, he's a eye surgeon, put together there, and uh, they're helping all ABA guys. There's so many ABA guys that have problems that didn't even play a year or two that uh, that uh, you know, they're big fans and and uh, they put this thing together and they're going to have a they have a big banquet uh, Biker's Life on uh, Saturday night. Uh, uh, with Bob Costas and there are tables for sale and they're they're fairly expensive but they're doing a uh, they're doing a public event on Saturday afternoon at Butler Fieldhouse from a, like 10 to 3 and they're going to have all the players there's going to probably be 100 players up there everybody from Julius Irving to Spencer Haywood to people you've never heard of probably and they're all going to sit in a row and uh, like Guinness Book of Records I guess is going to be there it could be the largest single signing ever and they have these replica ABA balls that the charity is going to sell for like $250. And, it, and when you buy that ball, you can walk through the line and literally get 100 autographs. I mean, you can get 12, 15 Hall of Famer autographs, where normally you go to some of these shows, they charge you bucks for one autograph. And, uh, and it's going to be really cool, and we're going to be selling our book there, and they're going to have a card show, and people can mingle with the players. I know the mayor's coming. Uh, the two, two of the U.S. senators are going to be there. Uh, hopefully the governor is going to be there if he can make it. Uh, Rupert is going to be there from Survivor, and they're going to have a ring presentation to all the players. 
So for the public, it's going to be a really cool deal. And actually, next week on the 24th at the uh, card show on at the uh, uh, Legion Hall on 126th Street at Fishers, they're going to have a book signing. And then on the, a week later, on the 31st, up in uh, Noblesville on 9th Street, uh, Conrad Bruner opened a card shop up there. He was with the Pacers for years and the Star. He opened a, a memorabilia store up there, and we're going to have a book signing from uh, 12 to 2 up there on on Saturday the 31st and the 24th is from 10 to 10 to noon but it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, we meet all the people but when we had that car when we had the um, when we had the uh, signing last week uh, at the Irvington Theater I was I figured well maybe 20 or 30 people would show up and my gosh they were lined out the door and all these people that I hadn't seen for years and Pacer fans coming out of the woodwork and it was very very impressive and this this town is uh is uh really remembers the aba pacers and and i was very honored to just be part of the thing last week and it's going to be fun and i think all the fans will come out and that aba weekend uh it's uh, we're, i'll put it this way everybody's coming I, I i just talked to spencer haywood this morning called me about hotel reservations rick barry will be here uh larry brown doug moe uh, uh george gervin artist gilmore you name them they're going to be here and this is going to be a fun time, and and I think if you're a basketball fan or an ABA fan, this is a once in a lifetime deal. Bob, can everybody get this information or where it's at, how to get to it at WeChangeTheGame.com, or is there other places they can find out information from? WeChangeTheGame.com has all the information about the book, and then if you want information about the event, uh, the event on the reunion. You go to droppingdimes.org, droppingdimes.org, and it that's a that's a website that the foundation has. It tells you all the stories about the reunion. It's got player stories in there. It's a really interesting website, and uh, you can buy tickets for the banquet if you wanna if you wanna come to the big banquet that night. And I know they're fairly limited, but they are selling. They have some left, and uh, uh, it's just gonna be a. Uh, it's going to be one fun weekend, and uh, be a lot of lies told, I'm sure, by the guys. But uh, I think I think the fans would would love it, and that's why they decided to do the uh, thing at, at Hinkle because the the one downtown is fairly limited and it's almost sold out, and they need something for the public. So I think it, I think they're charging ten dollars to get in if you're fifteen on sixteen under under kids get in free and. Uh, it's a kind of a once in a lifetime thing to get that type of a basketball signed, and they're also going to sell pennants for a little less money, a big pennant, and you for you pay it like I think I have hundred dollars or something like that, and you can take this pennant and walk through the line and get it signed by all these guys, and uh, it'll be a pretty it'll be a pretty cool thing. And of course, you can buy our book. I hope a lot of people want to buy the book, and the books will be already autographed by Dick, me, and Robin, so you'll have an autographed copy of our book. So it could be it could be a very interesting weekend. Are you gonna, uh, by the way, are you coming, Billy? Uh, I, I am trying to make travel arrangements as we speak. Yeah, we'll send we'll send a uh, we'll send a limo a, a horse and buggy. Up. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, you said you you know at, at droppingdimes.org. I don't think uh, a lot of people know how how important that website is and droppingdimes.org because it helps 
a lot of the I know you guys are going through your uh, uh, your, your uh, pension uh, uh, fight with the NBA, but a lot of people, I mean, DroppingDimes.org does a great job with helping uh, former ABA players with, you know, from from as little as getting a suit to yeah, uh, uh, funeral arrangements, if I'm not un, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah, there's, you know, again, the pension thing is is one thing. I mean, like I said, the pension, we kind of equate, it would cost the NBA probably what they paid. They pay a weekly in coffee cream money to take care of us. I mean, they're making about $10 billion a year, and our, our, our pension would cost them. Uh, it's just so small, it's unbelievable. But the, the dropping dimes has, has helped a lot. I mean, I can tell you a few guys. There was a player down in the... And I won't mention the players' names because, believe it or not, a lot of these players they don't want you to mention their name. They're proud and they say, you know, we don't want to think that we need help. But there was a player, that a big time player down in Kentucky, that he was in a nursing home. He had no money and no clothes. And myself and Dan Issel, Louis Dampier, and the Dropping Dimes guys went down. They bought him a new suit of clothes. They bought him a warm-up shirt. And they got him a bunch of stuff. And a guy up here in Indianapolis, uh, you know, all he wanted was a couldn't afford a suit, a suit to go to church, which was ri- ridiculous. So Dropping Dimes took him over to the big and tall store, and they bought him a suit and clothes and things like that. Another guy had a problem with his, uh, had really bad dental problems, didn't have a dime, and so they brought him up here, and uh, got a local uh, uh, Steve Green helped, who was a dentist, who was an ex-ABA guy, and they worked with an oral surgeon up here, and they got him his dental work done, and, and just things like that. They had another guy could didn't have the money to go to his uh, basketball college basketball reunion. They took care of his expenses, and just little things like that. I mean, it's not a charity where they're passing money out to people. It's a charity where they're helping people that need help, and everybody needs a little bit of help once in a while. And uh, and uh, and I, I've been proud to be part of it, and we've got a great advisory board that all guys have joined. We have Spencer Haywood, George Gervin, uh, Bob Costas is on it, Peter Vesey, uh, Artis Gilmore, Dan Issel, Louis Dampier, guys like that who have volunteered their time to just help. And, uh, you know, there's a, the ABA is just a huge, big fraternity, and uh, the more and more I get involved in this, the more I realize that, because, you know, these guys will call me, and I haven't talked to them in a year, in 10 years, and, Man, I can't get them off the phone. All they want to do is talk <laughs> ABA for an hour. But, uh, I'm talking big, famous guys, and 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 it's, a, it's just one big fraternity, and uh, and we all care about each other, and 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 I think the fans, especially this book. I hope this book uh, helps kind of enlighten uh, uh, people about the ABA and about the uh, how basketball was changed by the ABA. That's the point of the book. I mean, sure, the, the Pacers were a big part of it, and it changed the city, but it also changed the game of basketball. And there's even a part in the book where Sandy Knapp, who used to work for the Pacers, and she was president of Sports Corp., she wrote an article part in there where it not only changed the game on the floor, but it changed the marketing. It changed. We brought cheerleaders into the game. We bought halftime shows. We bought, uh, you know, they didn't have mascots back in those days. I mean, the ABA changed, made it a show, made it a fun event for people to come, and that's what the NBA is today. If you ever go to a game, you know, half the stuff is, is they have halftime shows. They have between quarter shows. Uh, it's just it's a big it's a big uh, entertainment for the family. And it and, and before the ABA, it was just basically a game, and that was it and people didn't really care that much. You, you know, the more, though, the more and more that I'm involved and I chat with you guys and chat with the former ABA players, you know, you say fraternity, I say I say family. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's about as close. It's, it, it's about a, 
you know, uh, and, and, the, and it goes deeper than just players. That's the, it's the family. I talked to, I've talked to some coaches, like, uh, some coaches are coming that are still alive. Uh, Stan Albeck is coming. Uh, Del Harris is coming. I talked to Al Bianchi the other day and he, yeah, he has a big problem. He can't make it, but he all he was wanted to come so bad. Larry Brown, uh, uh, Billy Cunningham called me and said he's going to be out of the country. He wanted to come so bad, and it's just—it's funny how that uh, you know you just mentioned the ABA and everybody wants to come. We have some great owners, former owners that uh, are helping. That some of them couldn't make it, but they're—they've contributed to the dropping dimes. Uh, Dan Silna was the guy from St. Louis who signed that great deal, and <laughs> and Red McCombs, who was my owner, and uh, when I played with San Antonio, Red McCombs, who uh, from San Antonio, who. Uh, you know who owned the who owned the Spurs, and then he owned the uh, Vikings, and he bought the Nuggets and stuff. And he he's been a sponsor of this thing too. He he donated and a great guy. So they they just they really have this deep affection for the ABA. And you're right, it's it's a it's like a family thing. Uh, Bob, is uh, Louis Dampier going to be there? Absolutely, yeah. Little Louis coming. And, and that, now, did did some did Dan's coming? Did someone have to drive down and tell Louie that he had to come up? Because you know he doesn't answer his phone. Well, I know he never answers his phone. But the funny <laughs> thing was, I, I I emailed him. I emailed him. I emailed him and Dan Essel at the same time, and I said, "Guys, I need your ring sizes because they're giving these beautiful rings to the guys that are coming." Yeah. And I'll be damned. Louie got back to me before Dan did, and I called Dan. And I said, "Guess what? Louie got size before you did." And he wrote me back. He said, "I am really, really depressed." This hurts, you know, <laughs> because you're right. You call Louie, he might call you a month later. So the name of the book is We Changed the Game. Uh, it's available at uh, Hilton Publishing and Amazon.com. I've had a couple people comment on how fantastic the book is. Go get it today. Also, look and go to DroppingDimes.org. Go to WeChangeTheGame.com. Find out about all these events that are going to be happening in that first week of April with the ABA. Uh, you don't want to miss out on the book nor what's going on during that 50th reunion. Bob Nedelicki, it's a pleasure. It's, a, it's an honor for me to chat with a, uh, a, a, a legend like yourself, and I appreciate your and Robin's time. Hey Billy, it's always great talking to you. You're uh, you're a true fan, and uh, you're you're a, you're a basketball guy, and we like basketball guys. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to it. Okay, man. Talk to you later. Thanks. All right. Bye bye.